Okay, so there's a big topic for a series like this one called The Alchemical Journey that probably needs to be addressed, and that is, what is alchemy? So this question could have a lot of deep, complex answers, and I think a fairly useful, serviceable, helpful answer to begin with is that alchemy is the art of taking a substance that is common or basic or even poisonous and evolving that substance into another substance through a series of operations so that it becomes a whole new thing that is powerful, healing, rare, uplifting, beautiful, amazing. And throughout the history of alchemy, we can see that alchemists have practiced this art with a wide array of substances. So probably starting with metallurgic alchemy um, into mineral alchemy, plant alchemy, uh, alchemy that uses animal parts, alchemy that works with the fluids of the human body, all the neurotransmitters and the subtle channels of the psychic body, and alchemy that works with the psyche itself, the thoughts, emotions, feelings, attitudes, all of that. That alchemy of the psyche is probably the most prominent form of alchemy that people are interested in today. Um, of course, it's also very interesting to note that the metallurgic alchemists who were seeking to turn more common metals into gold, so for example, lead into gold was a common goal of the alchemists, that goal has been achieved. They were right that that was possible. In 1941, scientists found that they could use a particle accelerator to take other metals and turn them into gold. Now, of course, using a particle accelerator to make gold is a very intensive and expensive process, much more expensive than just mining gold or buying gold on the market. Uh, but I think it's fascinating that the alchemists thousands of years ago, some, um, by some estimations, alchemy is an art at least 5,000 years old, that they were right. Their intuition was correct. One substance can be evolved into another substance because everything is fundamentally connected. Everything is fundamentally related. So um, in the Western world, probably the first historical flourishing of alchemy that was documented that we have actual written evidence for happened from around 0 to 300 BC in the Hellenistic Egyptian city of Alexandria. So Alexandria at the time was um, heavily influenced by Greek culture. There were also major Babylonian and Jewish influences in the city. Um, and magic and alchemy were flourishing. So uh, around that time, <laughs> what came to be coalesced was something no now known as the Corpus Hermeticum. So the Corpus Hermeticum is this body of texts that's attributed to a person named Hermes Trismegistus. 
Now, who is Hermes Trismegistus? Well, some people say that he was actually an incarnate person, like Jesus. Um, other people say, and there's probably more proof to support this, that um, Hermes Trismegistus is kind of a collective name, sort of like Homer um, is the name to which the oral poetry of Greece got attributed, sort of a mythic figure. Um, but this mythic figure of Hermes Trismegistus is sort of a combination of the Greek god Hermes and the Egyptian god Thoth. So Hermes Trismegistus means Hermes the Thrice Great. And there's a lot of different explanations for why he's the Thrice Great. One of the ones that I like is because he uh, represents consciousness itself, being aware of the play of all reality. And as such, uh, he's ruling in all of the realms, heaven, earth, and hell, because nothing, no realm, has ever been experienced outside of consciousness. So, uh, so Hermes Trismegistus is the attributed author of these texts, the Corpus Hermeticum, where we find sort of the foundational text of the Western alchemical tradition, which is known as the Emerald Tablet. And we can get into a whole big discussion of the Emerald Tablet on another day, but right now I could just highlight that probably the most famous dictum or axiom from the Emerald Tablet is as above, so below. And as above, so below is such a beautiful, beautiful little statement because it summarizes the way by which all knowledge is attained. So the only way that we are ever able to know anything, the only way that we are ever able to expand our perspective, expand our horizon, is by relating the unknown to the known. So as above, so below really sets out this clear relationship of analogy by which, you know, we can come to know higher things or celestial things or the greater workings of the universe by analogy to what we're experiencing right here below in the terrestrial world. That's one way of understanding as above, so below, and there's many more exciting facets to that. So uh, this notion that everything is connected, everything um, can, has the potential to be known, opens up this really exciting idea that um, we can work with, <laughs> we can work with what exists and we can alter it and we can evolve it and we can change it into its higher form because it's all connected. And I know that sounds a little bit vague and squishy right now. And I think in the future, I'll be able to more explicitly refine that for you. But that's just the, the notion that we're starting with here. So alchemy, <laughs> the alchemy of the psyche. So Carl Jung, who was the pioneering psychotherapist working in the 20th century, got really, really interested in alchemical manuscripts from Renaissance Europe, from medieval Europe, from um, ancient India, China, from the Arabic alchemical tradition, from the Alexandrian tradition, and started noticing that all of the illustrations in these manuscripts had this repeated theme of the 
unification, or we could, call, we could say the reconciliation of opposites. And this became a very fascinating, deep, important idea for Jung, because as a psychotherapist, he was constantly dealing with unbalances in the psyche, with um, the way that people make themselves crazy uh, by clinging to um, an attitude, a set of perspectives, thoughts, emotions, identifications that's overly one-sided. And that's what all human egos tend to do, especially in modern westernized society. So we tend to identify with our bodies, for example. So once we identify with our bodies, we identify with the condition of our bodies, with whatever gender we have, with our age, with our, um, there could be political affiliations, family affiliations, all of this stuff. Um, and in our identification with that, we put so much else <laughs> into our unconscious. We don't identify with it. We sort of push it away and we become hobbled and we become um, less whole and less healed you know heal and whole <laughs> the word to heal literally means to make whole so Jung realized that healing people of their psychological disturbances of helping them to become more creative more vital more capable of um having really wonderful connections with other people, of feeling really good and being productive in the world, has to do with helping them to overcome these imbalances and to learn how to become more whole. And in order to do that, he discovered that we really need to learn how to reconcile sets of opposites within our own being. So we could say masculine and feminine, i.e. projective and receptive, uh, pain and pleasure, good and evil. Um, let's see what's some other good ones. I think I may be forgetting a few sets of them right now, but you get the idea. <laughs> polarities. And we can have a whole discussion later more specifically about polarities. But he realized we have to learn how to um, integrate these in our being to own and inhabit paradox, basically instead of clinging to one side or another. So he saw this reflected in the alchemical illustrations of so many different cultures and historical periods, and he got really excited, and he started to um, guess that alchemists, even if they were working with actual physical materials like minerals, metals, plant matter, animal matter, etc., they were, um, they were all also working on their psyche, or we could say, you know, their soul. Because for Jung, the goal of psychology is individuation. So individuation is both what it sounds like. It's about becoming a unique individual, and it's also about becoming whole, right? The word individuation means indivisible. And what is indivisibility? Well, it's wholeness. <laughs> so becoming individuated means becoming whole. And paradoxically, interestingly, in the process of becoming whole um, at the level of our psyches, our emotions, our physical experience, we become 
um, amazingly unique. We become, we're, we're unique expressions of the whole. We are all unique expressions of the divine, one could say. Now, Jung didn't like to say that because Jung um, was really concerned with his respectability as a scientist. So he never explicitly said like, hey, we all need to attain to the divine within us. Instead, when he talked about the self with a capital S, he talked about it as a phenomenal image of the divine, an imago dei, to use Latin. Um, so this imago dei of the self is like the image of the divine that we find in dreams, that we find just, you know, it's unavoidable. It's stamped within all of us. Even if we think that we are atheists or agnostics, we can still have incredible visions and dreams that draw on this deep well of sacred and divine symbolism. So um, I'm not concerned with my scientific respectability like Jung was. So I don't tend to restrict myself to saying like, oh, we don't know if we have the divine inside of us. We just have an image of the divine inside of us. I'm going to go ahead and say, uh, yeah, we all have the divine inside of us. And it is our job, um, at least this is what I understand from my tradition that I'm in, which is the tradition of Western esotericism, hermeticism, alchemy, that it is our work. It's the great work to um, incarnate the divinity within us, fully incarnate it. So uh, Jesus Christ is famous for being an incarnation of the divine. Um, but most people don't think of themselves as potential incarnations of the divine. And the challenging, beautiful, wonderful thing about Western esotericism, magic, alchemy, hermeticism, is that it does really invite us to understand that we have that same potential. We, and we need to strive for it in order for our lives to have meaning and to have magic and to have deep, deep rewarding connections and deep, deep beauty and bounty in them. We need to do all that we can to bring forth the presence of the divine into our bodies, into our personality, into our daily interactions and daily life. So that's what I strive to do. That's what I strive to teach others to do. That's what I'm going to be talking about here in this podcast series. So um, I hope that this stokes your imagination a little bit. Obviously, there's so much more to be learned concerning, you know, the global history of alchemy. You could literally occupy yourself for a lifetime studying various histories, various famous alchemists, um, various manuscripts. There's a lot to delve into, but I think that this is a fine starting place. I'll just underline again that fundamentally alchemy is about evolving a basic or a common or even a poisonous substance into something more rare, more beautiful, healing, and powerful through a series of operations, and these operations usually involve the confrontation and ultimately the union and or reconciliation of opposites. Okay, thank you.